0: we we'll continue to heed the call of that letter by immersing ourselves in the word. And we do that now in the gospel, in the gospel of Mark chapter 4. As you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading. And he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And as his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. And since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. It may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately come and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word immediately, receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and The desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, you may think, since Jesus already explained this parable, I don't need to preach this morning, but I went ahead and wrote a sermon anyway. (laughs) And on uh, this uh, Reformation Sunday, I want to invite us uh, for a moment to to go back in time. And so whether you choose your time machine to be a history book or Doctor Who's TARDIS, uh, you can take your choice, but either way, we're going to go back. Let's go back. Uh, a few centuries to the 14th century. There in the 1300s lived a Roman Catholic dissident, a scholar, a theologian, a philosopher. And this philosopher and teacher near Oxford believed that the Bible should be read in the people's own language, their own vernacular. This teacher would translate the Gospels into English. John Wycliffe did this. Later, those who would follow his stead would translate the whole Bible, now known as the Wycliffe Bible. But it was not well received at the time. This was still some 200 years before the Reformation period. And Wycliffe was, and his work was rejected and scorned now he was able to live out his life until I think 1384 but uh, folks wanted to know that his ideas were not received well so they dug up his body and burned it like a heretic after his death just to let the world know not to listen to John Wycliffe Now get back in the time machine with me for a moment and we'll go forward in time 100 years from there to the 15th century, 1400s. Now there, nearly a century later, Johannes, who's a Czech, uh, as we'd call him today, really then known as the Bohemia or Bohemian, would argue, much like Luther would years later, with his archbishop claiming that there was no biblical or even church confessional case for these things called indulgences that you pay your way out of purgatory or into heaven. And for that argument, he was exiled, excommunicated, and executed. And Hus, like Wycliffe before him, didn't see the fruit of his labors. Get back into the time machine with me now and go another hundred years into the future to the 16th century. There we find Martin Luther saying much, and although there's differences with Wycliffe and Huss there, were much that they shared, including their firm belief that the, the words should be Written in the people's own language and translated for people to read. The indulgences were wrong and not biblical. Anchored in God's word, God would produce fruit through the work of Luther. And there would be a return on his work, a miraculous return of 30 sixty or a hundredfold and instead of being rejected fully by the world around him or even dying like many reformers did before him, God blessed that work. And what was different about Hoos and Wycliffe and Luther was just the timing. For all three remained faithful to the word. It turns out that as we also hear in Isaiah fifty five eleven, that God's word Although Houston Wycliffe wouldn't see it, Luther would, and we do today, would not return void. Let's travel again in our time machine, now back to the present day, to 2022, where it feels like the word is like those years past are resisted. It has opposition And that there are many not listening to God's word or his way of things. And we think, oh, why bother, right? Why bother? Maybe some of you have seen that old Disney movie named even a a real hockey team after them, The Mighty Ducks. Or maybe some of you even go back further uh, into the land of the 70s. That's a real time machine there, and the bad news bears right, and wonder why? Why would these players who have no skill even bother? Uh, The show has been like lots of them remade, and uh, a team uh, named in that spirit even uh, was called in one of the episodes. uh, Don't bother, or why bother? Why do we bother when there's still so much resistance to the word? Why uh, bring the word to our friends and neighbors when so many just reject it out of hand? Wouldn't it be just more efficient to bring it to those who have said uh, the uh, yes" already? And yet, here we have a, fa- a farmer, a sower scattering the seed in all kinds of different soil. What we discover in this text maybe more than anything else is that our God is a farmer, a sower of the word that bothers. Regardless of circumstance, God is sowing his word to the world. Now let's go back with Jesus now and walk on the shore in Capernaum That hometown of his his apostle Peter, where he and the disciples and those many who follow him would spend much time. And the church would gather there centuries later. And so on this particular day, Jesus walked down to the shore and the crowd was many. And so he got into a boat and began to preach up the hillside like a natural amphitheater so everyone could hear. And what did he preach? Notice something interesting. Although there's implication about how to treat our soil in this text, to be sure, there is no exhortation that says, Be good soil, right? Nowhere does Jesus say, Be good soil. What we hear over and over again in this parable is, sow the seed sow the seed. You see, there's a promise that the farmer knows what he's doing. Now there's certainly, as we hear Jesus explain it for us, ways in which this soil is received, receiving the word in different ways. I mean, we can think about the the hard soil much like our secular world today, jaded There may be many who have not investigated the the truth and historicity uh, that Jesus really did walk on the earth, that he really did die and rise again, that our faith is anchored in a reality that is true and real. And there may be even are some who grew up in the church, who have now walked away from it, walking away because they see, let's be honest, the real imperfections of the church. Ways that you and I have been hypocrites. Ways that we haven't walked in the way of Jesus. And that has hardened hearts. And they may not know that Jesus comes to redeem those with hard hearts. He comes to those hearts to transform them. And we can think of ways that the, the, the ground is shallow and covered in rocks, where faith comes quickly, but then with the reaction to the troubles that come in the world, we respond oftentimes understandably, emotionally. And trouble comes and we bail. We falsely think that bad things mean God doesn't love us. We can understand why we might come to that conclusion that even the Pharisees and teachers of the law in Jesus' time believed that. But then Jesus turned things upside down. He brought the good news of the gospel to the poor, to the prostitute to the widow, to the weak among us. Jesus is scattering his seed in every kind of soil, the word made flesh that dwelt among us. God is at work even in the troubles of this world and the troubles of our lives. He has not abandoned us when hardship comes. As that psalm that we heard read and played on the screen earlier says, that God is a very present help in time of trouble. It lets us know there will be trouble, but it also lets us know that He does not abandon us, He is with us. And there are, of course, all kinds of ways that there are thorny soils today. We get busy, don't we? And life is so jam packed with so much going on. It's not like we just put our feet up on the weekend. Our schedules abound, right? And so, our walk with Christ, often in this busy, full world with so many good things, it becomes one of many bullet points instead of being the center of our lives, the reason why we live and breathe and everything else emanating from it. But when it becomes just another bullet point, it just becomes another mark on the schedule, another weight on our shoulders. And so it gets choked out by the business of our lives. Jesus also tells us this fourth soil receives the word. And as it receives it, I want you to notice the change agent. What's the change agent in irregardless of each of these soils? It's not the soil. It's the word. It's the seed. Now this parable that focuses us on that word and that seed. That brings us life. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't plow our soils. There's some implication there. But what we're reminded here is the depth of where that word is received, whether no depth on hard ground, shallow depth and falling away in trouble, choked out by the weeds of this world, or deep roots. But the reality is he keeps pointing us back to the one, the sower, the seed, the word. Every single soil here is a response to Jesus. A response to Jesus and his word. For that is the change agent. He is the change agent. Let me just pause here for a moment and take us back to verses 10 to 12 because those verses are difficult to understand it talks about the secret of the kingdom of God or the mysterion of the kingdom of God and Jesus is speaking to not only the 12 but all those who are followers of him if you read it there those gathered close following him Some commentators will point out that really he's talking to the ones who want more than just coming to the crowd for a miracle. They really want the word itself. They want Jesus. And what does Jesus give? The mystery of God. As Dr. Paulson, an ancient biblical text historian and theologian will point out is the absolution of sin. The forgiveness of sin. Not the glamour of a miracle and the loaves and fishes like Jesus did elsewhere, but the, the transformation by the soil, in, this, in our soil, of His Word. The transformation by His Word. And that Word, what does it do? Like a seed, it dies. So that new life can come. And Jesus will die for you and for me so that new life can come. When we think about it as our own responsibility, about, well, I've got, you know, my soil's pretty good. How's your soil, right? And we wear signs around our necks, maybe with uh, rocky or thorny or, you know, maybe not. We start to get uh, our own egos and trying to save ourselves. We become what religion says. I do this so that God will choose me. And now God owes me something, right? Or will we let that seed die in our hearts and bring new life and rise again with Christ? Christ. For what the gospel says instead is this. God chooses us first because of the grace of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And because he chooses us, we now respond by loving others and sowing the seed and casting it as he commands us. Because he chooses us. I love how Martin Luther reminds us that God doesn't need our good works but our neighbor does and so out of love of God because he chose us we scatter the seed we don't have to choose between following the law or receiving the gospel the law reveals our need for the gospel and We know that when we live by the law, we die by the law, but we can only live by the seed being implanted in us, that word. And so this, don't miss the lead in this parable. The farmer sows the seed. We're called to sow the seed. And we'll be reformed by the word. And that word, regardless of the resistance that we see now or throughout history, Will not return void. And maybe you're thinking, well, some of that resistance is for me. I like how one author put it like this Wait, what's that? You still struggle with receiving and believing the word? I mean, you still struggle when trials and difficulties come your way to believe? Hold up, you're telling me that you find yourself addicted to the creature comforts of this world? And you're suggesting that you might not always be good soil? Yes. And what does our God do? He bothers to keep scattering and casting out the sea in all the soils. One preacher told the story of C. Campbell Morgan, who went to a graveyard in Italy. It was an old graveyard with many, from many centuries past, laid to rest there, including dignitaries. And so one of those uh, graves of someone of great import had this thick, heavy piece of marble over the whole grave. Teams of horses would have trouble moving it. And yet, as Morgan tells the story, some centuries back, a little seed, a little acorn got in under the ground underneath that marble, under the soil nearby, and took root and came up right through that grave and right cracking through that little seed, busting through that thick, impenetrable marble what is impossible for us is possible for God possible for the word because God has chosen to cast the seed he invites us to do the same we trust him to do the impossible and boldly share with our friends and neighbors our family members and trust that God will bring about the fruitfulness. You know, that, that fruitfulness of 30 and 60 and 100-fold are way more than would naturally happen in nature. Way more, farmers will tell you, than even uh, the manipulated and, and technologies of today could produce. These numbers are miraculous. 30, 60, and 100-fold. Miraculous because they're done by God. He will break through your hard marble heart with his word. He can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. He can bust through the walls of our busyness and of our hurt and of this secular broken world. And so we can faithfully scatter that soil and trust that he will do that work. Our God, he bothers to scatter the word for you and for me and for the world around us. This farmer knows what he's doing. Let's respond to him. Sure, we'll do some plowing of the soil together and our new vision statement invites us to do that with God, with each other, and the people we encounter. To do some plowing to be sure, but most of all, to sow the seed May the sower of the seed sow our hearts and bust through our marble hearts. And may we continue to be his faithful servants and cast the seed out into this world today. Amen.